This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the Long Delithi Podcast. We are your hosts, Jacob and Thomas from Beacon. We're going to be breaking down our fourth record song by song and going in depth on the recording process and context behind the tracks. In each episode, we'll be highlighting some of our favorite sounds and loops and making them available as a free download on BandLab. BandLab is a digital audio workstation and social platform. You can go ahead, download the app, and head over to our profile to access the official sound pack. For episode five, we're going to be talking about Can't Turn Back. This was an important track for the record. In a lot of ways, I think it laid the groundwork for tracks like Harm, the B-side on the record, um, Chance, uh, Mile a Minute, all these songs that kind of exist in this rhythmic space where Can't Turn Back was the was the first one to break through the sound for the record. It became a single that we decided to announce the album with, but it wasn't always that, but it sort of felt inevitable when we did make the decision to do that. It had the immediacy of songs from our catalog. I mean, I think we associated it a bit with Bring You Back in terms of the way that it jumps right into an ARP. It has a directness to it. It's on the shorter side. It's three minutes long. I think it's just a track with really rich sound design, but that still is working in a pop structure. So it's kind of like a sweet spot for what we try to do. I think it's it's easier to take really lush atmospheric sound design and implement it into some into a track that has a more amorphous structure, but it's a little bit more challenging to bring that into a pop arrangement. Dance pop, right? Like that's really what this would be as far as genre, but just the way it kicks off with this this arpeggiation and then like the sort of crystallized sound design, those were two things that you brought in as the initial seed of this track. So do you remember how those were made? Yeah, and I, and I remember this being like a pretty exciting moment in the studio because, you know, we had been working separately throughout the pandemic and there's a lot of demos floating around. And this was part of a suite of demos that I had sent over throughout the months. And it was one of the first ones I feel like we fully started developing in the studio together. You know, a lot of these tracks were kind of essentially made on a laptop. You know, like I didn't have a lot of gear with me. Um, I was staying up with some friends in the Poconos, so I was... I had a pretty, pretty minimal means, so it was a lot of VSTs and Cubase and essentially no equipment, no hardware at all. It was a good way to kind of dig in being creative within the DAW itself, getting into the arpeggiators a little a little more in depth, trying to pull more interesting things out of them, just the result of having not a lot of stuff around to work with. So, Do you remember what synth is used for the original arpeggiation? 
The original synth is a retro log. It's a modified patch called Metal Bell. I think the ARP is a little unique. The sequence that it's running is not super standard. And then there's that weird chord. Yes. <laughs> there's that weird chord in yeah. the uh, opening chord progression that really jumped out to you as, I said, kind of problematic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> in a lot of well, not, not super musical, but progressive in an interesting way for us to really start arranging it into a song. <laughs> We had to get right. rid of it. The crazy, uh, the crazy D. But it's a cool way to start the track. For an intro to track, you have more flexibility in terms of like keeping things a little bit looser and sort of more wild and expressive, which I think the first eight bars of this track does so well. And then we kind of pare the elements down and use a much more kind of reduced, simplified arpeggiation pattern to then drive the song and the vocal melody and everything together. But it's really nice to have such a unique element to start the song because it's like, hopefully it inspires the listener to pay attention to more of the details. Like, And there's a lot of detail in this track that I think is really interesting. But sort of that initial statement of really interesting sonics and, and an interesting progressive chord pattern. It allows this track to really make a statement, which ultimately, going back to releasing this record and how we wanted to roll it out, when it became time to choose a song to announce the record with, it's a song that makes a statement, but then also has like a lot of pop arrangements and uh, characteristics that can draw a lot of people in. It's like the song was an obvious choice. So Yeah, for a while there, I think it was, we were considering opening the record with this song. Oh, yeah, you know, interesting, was, yeah. And I think that our caught the year enough that we we're like, oh, that's that could be a, a, a nice way to start the record. Um, speaking of the sound design, why don't, we, uh, why don't we jump into some of the samples? Yeah, definitely. So to follow up on that ARP chord, first sample we're going to give you is is that chord. It's the it's a uh, it's a D major seven. This was a strange one to work into the song initially. It kind of pops out from the chord structure in a way that was interesting, but not quite enough to roll through the song. You know, we ended up switching out both the sound and the structure of the arpeggiation. I think it flips from this retro log, kind of really crystally VST, to something more warm and rich with the prophet. It allows the intro to really function as separate from the verse, from the song itself, and then also kind of bookend the song at the end. So it's a D major seven with the, what the progression turns into that the song is like mostly arranged in and the vocal melody is over. A D root really doesn't work in the bass. But I will mention that this chord lingers in the track from an H delay that has a feedback very high. So the last time you hear, which you, and you also hear it in the tail of the sample that we gave you, it throws into this delay that keeps lingering over the top of the track as everything comes in underneath it. The main thing with this this chord is that in the beginning it's progressive and it's really interesting, but um, that root 
doesn't really work with the rest of the progression. What's interesting about it, maybe how you can end up using it in your music, is whatever key you can fit it into, using the top parts of it and the melodic sort of non-bassy elements of it can add like a really nice sort of spice and flavor on top of the chord progression that we ended up using as sort of the main progression for the track. But yeah, it's, it's, the, it's part of the first sounds that you hear and it's part of the last sounds you hear on the track. This sample is the stick, which is the main snare sound in the track. A lot of the songs operate in this space on the record opt for this sound. It's a, a rim shot stick sound. Each one is kind of treated differently. You know, some are bit crushed or filtered down or, or modulated. Or The main theme really is that the snares are just really snappy. Getting in, getting out, and really keep the groove moving. So this next sample is a um, C major chord on the piano. I, this is actually one of the straight up last things that we recorded for the album period. Yeah, as we were preparing um, Can't Turn Back for mixing, the bridge and coming out of the bridge into that final section is something that we just spent a lot of time finessing. And, and it was us kind of saying like, can we... You know, for that bridge section, we had just dropped everything out, sort of let some tails linger and like the big vocal hook is there. And there wasn't a lot of instrumental. You know, we do this a lot too. It's like, let's just drop in some kind of like rich piano moments. Like just that, like, just like, it's not a stab, but it feels like a stab. It's like, like something that just punctuates a one. So we started, we put in these piano chords and... I mean, we, we talked about our piano signal chain quite a bit on this record. These pianos, these piano chords go through the same chain, but there is definitely a bit more processing, a little bit more plugins to shape these, to make these work inside the track, which is very, very sound design and very electronic. Um, we were just looking at it. What is the um, signal chain for plugins for this? So there's a... There's a uh, Pro-Q, just doing some simple uh, low-end EQing. There's an LA-2A uh, Waves compressor on there, hitting it pretty hard. And then at the end of the chain, there is a, a J37 doing kind of like an uh, old tape delay emulator, which gives it that slight warbly saturated effect, you know, so then the compressor is also like hitting that pretty hard. It's very kind of dense and, dense and warm, um, kind of darker piano, really. You know, the idea was to pull elements out to sort of prepare for this kind of drop next, but we felt like we could get away with just adding a little bit more melodic information by by these piano chords, and I think it worked really well. And you're right, they are dark. The J37 is really useful. You can tell if somebody just has like just been like, oh, let's go crazy on this. I feel like its saturation is very identifiable. It's just like something that if you hear somebody putting it on like a synth lead or whatever, you're like, all right, there's the J37. There's no problem with that, but it's just like, you know, their version of recreating a, a driven tape sound is like just pretty identifiable. But that's why I think used in this context where it's dark and it's like heavy on the whatever that one knob is, the wobble. It just makes it sort of a little bit more atmospheric and 
nebulous without driving like the high end saturation, which I think is quite noticeable when people use the J37. This next sample is a vocal loop. We're going through these songs and trying to figure out what are some like useful and interesting sounds from our banks that we can give you to use. And it's like, you know, this is one of the examples where the vocal is used as a loop. It's something that we recorded and we probably, you know, we're doing one of our long vocal tracking sessions and just like I was getting ideas out and then we were listening, oh, that's cool or that little piece of that is cool, whatever. And this is just one of those moments that basically a backup vocal that was just a pulled out of a long take and said, oh, that's cool. What if we loop it? And yeah, so now it's basically like us creating our own bank of vocal samples, which now like you, you can use too. One of the effects on this vocal sample is the multi-tap delay, which was added to a Cubase update recently. And it's a pretty amazing plugin. It has a tap function. It'll create different points in which the delays are functioning in. It also has like a bunch of different inserts. In this one in particular, there's a uh, pitch shifter adding seventh in the delay. So it's got a notation change within the delay itself, adding this kind of haunting echo through the sample. And this next sample, this is the bass line, which technically is an arpeggiation as well. I think it's just one octave. We did that, kept producing, mixed the track, mastered the track. It was only when we went to, you know, start start figuring out how we're going to play it live that we're like, oh yeah, what's the bass line? What's the bass progression for this? Oh, it is an arpeggiation. But, you know, I think what's interesting about it and how you can use it in your track as a bass is that if you treat it just like sort of a sustained bass note, it adds this kind of subtle movement underneath. And that's what we noticed. I mean, I think we didn't realize we were doing it, but we kept it in the track and used it with its other main arpeggiated synth moment that it's going with that really keeps the track progressing forward. All right. Thanks for listening. That was Can Turn Back, episode five. Um, Next up, we're going to get into Ostrich. Uh, That is the side B of the record. So we're halfway through. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.